SAFM Sports Special on a Saturday afternoon. My name is Brad Brown. It's good to be with you. I mentioned uh, a little bit earlier on in the show, if uh, you followed tennis here in South Africa in the 1960s, a name that you will know very well is that of Owen Williams. And the great news is he's written a book, uh, and uh, it's called Ahead of the Game. The byline is a memoir of a trailblazer who had serious fun while turning tennis into big business. And it is a a very interesting read, to say the least. A tennis legend, Virginia Wade, said there are half a million expat South Africans living in the USA today, and this book is a must-read for them and every tennis enthusiast in the world. I grew up and learned my tennis in South Africa, and Owen Williams was always someone with an infinite well of experience who I look up to and admire for his amazing achievements. And it's an absolute pleasure to welcome onto SAFM Sports Special this afternoon, Owen Williams, all the way from Florida in the United States. Owen, welcome, and thank you for your time today. Thank you, Brad. It's a great pleasure to be back, and I used to do my own program at one stage with the SABC, so... uh, it's uh, it's uh, deja vu for me. <laughs> that is fantastic. Oh, in this book, uh, it's obviously been a long time in the making. It's taken you a good few years to write it. You you're 83 years young at the moment, and we'll we'll talk about some of the things you're still up to right now. But was it was it a, a, a was it great digging back into into the the memory well, so to speak, and and putting this book together? It was wonderful, Brad. I started five years ago. I didn't keep a diary. I had no notes. I had a few old faded memories and a few old faded newspaper clippings. And um, it didn't come automatically, <clears throat> excuse me, but it, uh, it started to flow. And uh, then I had great fun. I wrote 900 pages, and uh, Rebecca said she would divorce me if I printed a 900-page book. So I had a miserable time culling it down to 300 pages. Probably lost a few good friends in the meantime because I had to cut out a lot of mentions. But um, it, it, it really was, uh, when I sent it off to the printer, it was like seeing a child off to boarding school. I'm sure. Oh, and you, your, your story and, and your life around tennis is, is extremely interesting. And, and I, I like the name of the book, Ahead of the Game, because I think you were ahead of your time with, with some of the things that you did in the world of tennis, particularly uh, at, at the sort of peak of your career. But let, let's go back to where it started. And I love the story uh, of you having to peel potatoes uh, on the HMS Castle to, to get to Wimbledon. Yes, the Pretoria Castle. And... Uh I was living in Port Elizabeth, had no money, no backing, and uh, had quite a good game. I saw Eric Sturd just play the the local tournament at um, Davies Stadium in Humewood, and that was my first uh, lesson. I watched him for hours and hours, and suddenly uh, I could uh, could imitate him. And then I wanted to play at Wimbledon, and uh, there was no authorization, there was no backing, no sponsorship, no money. And so I camped out at the docks in Port Elizabeth, and... The skipper of the Pretoria Castle uh, was on his second trip round the Horn, and he said, a young man, he said, you'll have a beard by the time you get a job. You better go and get your tennis rackets. And he gave me a job as a third assistant cook, which means that uh, I worked under a, a second assistant cook and peeled a 1,000 pounds of potatoes a day. That's that's incredible. But you you made it to Wimbledon nonetheless that year, and uh, things are things have never been the same, so to speak. Uh, obviously, that that uh, sort of lit a fire, and, and uh, your, your career has just taken off from there. Well, Brad, uh, you know a lot of things in life are, are luck. I, I believe you make your own luck, but uh, 
When I arrived, when the ship arrived, the Pretoria Castle in Southampton, we were doing the scrubber of the galley. And this booming voice said, Owen Williams to the captain's cabin. And I, get, I got into my best bib and tucker and I presented myself to the captain. And he thundered at me. He said, young man, he said, I gave you a job. I even paid you and you didn't tell me you were a celebrity. And I didn't know what he was talking about. And he opened the door and there were about up to a hundred hardened journalists from Fleet Street and even more terrifying, about 80 cameras. And in those days, you know, there were a big square box with a little uh, thing over your head and a terrifying light above which not only uh, frightened the, the daylights out of you but blinded you but uh, the net result of that was that the following day I was on the front page of most of London's 17 daily newspapers in, in those days in the early 50s and so the potato peeler instead of being a, a lonely man uh, with uh, size 14 boots and a few tennis rackets I was suddenly recognized everywhere as the potato peeler. So, you know, uh, you can't invent that sort of stuff. When luck happens, it happens. Absolutely. I mean, you you had a great career as well. I'm just looking at your record. I mean, your best performance in a Grand Slam was reaching the quarterfinals in the men's doubles at the uh, 54 Australian Champs, uh, 54 Wimbledon as well. And then looking at your best singles performance, you reached the fourth round of the the 1954 US uh, Championships as uh, the seventh-seeded foreign player. And in the fourth round, you lost to uh, Ham Richardson. But uh, after you retired in in, in 59, you you went on to become a tennis administrator, and, and you did some amazing things on the administration side. Do you think you you enjoyed playing more than the administration side, or was was the administration side where you really found your niche? Well, I think it, I think that's where I really found my stride. I mean, I was never more than a, a journeyman uh, player, but we were known as tennis bums in those days. I had seven years. I toured the world. I played the four Grand Slams. I was seated seven at Forest Hills, and I asked Jack Kramer whether he would ever signed me up for the Kramer tour, which was the only way you made a real living. And he said, buddy, with those size 14 boots, go back to Johannesburg and get a real job. So a few years later, I retired and got married, and I started applying for jobs. Couldn't get one because I didn't have a university degree, and so I started my own business and was lucky enough to get uh, a whiskey agency and made quite a lot of money. And then Jack Kramer asked me to take over the Pro Tour, And very soon, by applying business methods, I was having more people outside Ellis Park trying to get in than the full house that had paid and was inside. And the South African tennis tournament uh, was number, it was one of the eight official titles. uh, And I was representing Port Elizabeth on the Council of Tennis, SALTU. And at the annual meeting, uh, they said we lost £4,000 in our tournament. Uh, is uh, stuck in the mud, it's uh, going nowhere. And Judge Franklin, who was representing the Free State, stood up and said, well, Owen Williams has spoiled the market. He brings Gonzalez and Hode. Who's going to pay to watch amateurs? And I stood to my full six foot four, and I said, sir, the, the Honorable Blen Franklin, with respect, sir, my guys are called a circus, the Kramer Circus. You've got the real McGillah. The net result of that, Brad, was that I had a lifetime contract with the SALTU, 50% partnership. I guaranteed £10,000 profit to the uh, tennis union, which was an enormous sum of money. 
Woke up the next morning and nearly died with fright at what I'd done. So I did the, you know, necessity is the mother of invention. So I went to the breweries, uh, saw Ted Fields, the charismatic uh, journalist uh, managing director, and I said, Ted, I need £20,000 to promote the Open. That was today like having $20 million or $30 million. And Ted listened to me. He said, you're going to run it yourself? I said, yes. What are you, what's your model? I said, I'm going to have a little Wimbledon. We're going to be second in the world only to Wimbledon. And um, he said, okay. But he said, you've got to go and convince Um Joss. Um Joss was Joss for Meekirk of the Breweries Institute. And he said, but listen, you have to ask for double because he's going to give you 50%. I went down to Joss. I asked for 40000 I got 20000 I had the money. And then I invented the seven, the eight hour, the, the eight day week, the 25 hour day. And in one year, uh, we were second only to Wimbledon in, in attendance. So, you know, uh, I guess that's making your luck that there was a, an awful lot of luck involved. Owen, oh, we, we've been scouring the SABC archives for, for some, some audio and, and looking, looking for, for stuff that you were involved in over the years. We managed to find some, so I want to play one or two clips if you don't mind. If you'll just listen to this. It's a magnificent eight-acre site. It slopes down onto the golf course. We're building a clubhouse with all facilities, committee rooms, television, etc. Most important, of course, 20 tennis courts. Five of them, to begin with, will be floodlit. A swimming pool, it'll be a membership club, and I think it's going to be something quite exceptional and special in Soweto. It's going to be a very, very attractive place. Uh, the gardens, the swimming pool, the whole ambience is going to be something quite exceptional for the southwestern townships. That was back in 1975, Owen, and uh, you were obviously talking about that magnificent uh, tennis development in Soweto. And in your book, in Chapter 17, it's called Joburg Life, and you said a wonderful lifestyle were it not for apartheid. Yes, yes. I remember that broadcast very well because uh, there was a little hyperbole in there because the golf course had just been denied us, but uh, I'd already done the recording. But we built that uh, club, Arthur Ash and I. Uh, Arthur came to South Africa, as you know, uh, in 73 and um, and helped break the, 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 the color barrier that was omnipotent in our days and very persuasive in life generally. And uh, he and I formed the Black Tennis Foundation. And uh, my late wife, uh, Jenny, Jennifer Nicholson, uh, ran it after I left for the United States. And we built over a thousand courts for black school children. But um, uh, unhappily, uh, the main clubhouse was burned during the Soweto riots. And uh, so uh, that dream did not come to full fruition. Although that uh, that sort of sports arena in Soweto now is is obviously hosting uh, many many uh, tournaments here in South Africa, not necessarily as as big as the scale that you hosted back then, but uh, it is still in operation and, and and doing fantastically well. Oh, and you mentioned Arthur Ashe, who, who that complex is named after, and, and him coming into South Africa. There was obviously a lot of animosity around that time with him being denied a visa and, and and struggling to get into the country. But when he did eventually get in, he he did one sort of private visit in South Africa and that was lunch at your house mm-hmm. yes yes he was uh, he, he came seven times to South Africa which very few people know 
the last two were purely to raise funds for the Black Tennis Foundation. And, um, and he played uh, the Close Classic, which uh, John Turpin um, uh, sponsored. And, of course, the SA Breweries Open, where he lost to Jimmy Connors twice in the final, 73 and 74. But uh, he was a marvelous, marvelous man. And, uh, and I'm just sorry that uh, we didn't have, um, you know, the way our lives went. Uh, I was recruited to go to, to Dallas to run uh, the World Championship Tennis Program. And uh, Arthur was under incredible pressure not to come to South Africa anymore. So, but uh, those uh, were my halcyon days. I, I look back on them with uh, great affection, and and uh, you know, uh, often think what might have been. Yeah, absolutely. We're chatting to uh, Owen Williams about his book Ahead of the Game. Uh, if you followed tennis in the 1960s and or 50s and 60s here in South Africa, uh, you will know the name Owen Williams. Uh, and Owen, obviously, uh, with with the apartheid sort of era, there were lots of of issues and and things that needed to be dealt with. And we found another clip that had to do with the Davis Cup. And I want you to listen to this one as well. It was tough times, but obviously a lot has changed in South Africa since then. Do you, do you follow the tennis scene back here in South Africa? I mean, what, what's your take on what's happening right now? I, you know, Brad, uh, I get uh, scant news of South African tennis, and uh, I would love to get more. In fact, I've uh, just written to, uh, an email to SA Tennis to say, put me on the, uh, the list and, uh, you know, and subscribe. Uh, 
I hear that uh, there moves afoot to get uh, a major tournament back to South Africa. Um, it's a shame that uh, you know it got to the point uh, where they they lost the tournament. That at one short stage, only seven or eight years, we were number two in the world, and then you know 30 years later, it doesn't even exist. But uh, I, I regret to tell you I don't know a lot about South African tennis at the moment, and I, but I hope to, to put that to rights very soon. Fantastic. Owen, oh, you, you, like the book said, uh, you were ahead of the game as far as sponsorship and endorsements and that sort of thing goes. Uh, obviously, the game's caught up in that now, and looking at tennis globally, uh, it's very different to when you playing. Do you think it's in, in a better space than when, when you were playing? Yes, I think so. You know, we, we played, you know, people forget, Brad, that the winner of Wimbledon, Rod Laver, uh, Lou Ho, Tony Trebb, whoever it was, Jack Kramer, received no money, nothing at all. They got a £25 gift voucher to spend on goods at Simpsons in the Strand, and a little note at the bottom said that if you try and cash this in, uh, you will be stripped of your Wimbledon title and stripped of your membership of the All England Club. And today, you know, I, I watched uh, the U.S. Open just uh, two or three weeks ago here in Flushing Meadows, uh, near my summer home in, in Southampton, and <laughs> I nearly fell off my chair. I thought that the winner got two million dollars, and, and it's up to three million in one year. Three million dollars to win Wimbledon. And uh, most of the players, you know, have uh, private jets and they're up to their gazoobs in trainers and dietitians and coaches and agents and, and every, you know, form of, of advice, etc. We roamed the world. We were affectionately known as tennis bums. Um, if you've got the time, I'll tell you how I, if you uh, give me the, the go-ahead, I'll tell you how I became the richest tennis player in the world. Owen, I would love to. Un unfortunately, we've got to go to news at 6 o'clock, so we are running out of time. We've got less than a minute. I, I actually have to wrap up. Unfortunately, I could chat to you for hours, and I want to thank you so much for your time this evening. Very good. And uh, don't forget, uh, Head of the Game is uh, available with a brand-new print-on-demand, uh, it's, a, it's a machine like a, like a Jeep Cherokee that spits the book out immediately. And thank you, Brad. Owen Williams, thank you so much for your time. The book is called Ahead of the Game, Memoir of a Trailblazer Who Had Serious Fun While Turning Tennis into Big Business. Uh, it is available right now. Just pop it into Google. I'm sure you can find it at most good bookstores as well. Fantastic. And, yeah, could, didn't, didn't even scratch the surface. So much more as well. I mean, still very involved. He actually uh, is the agent for Gary Kasparov, world chess champion too. So uh, very involved in business still at the very young age of 83. Thank you so much for your time this evening. Right now, it is 6 o'clock and time for your news.